Hi, I'm Cynthia Miller Idris from American University, and I'm here with Kathleen Ballou at the University of Chicago, and we're talking about far-right extremism and the military and law enforcement. Um, Kathleen, why don't you start by walking us through what's going on? Sure. And I think I'm here to hold down the fort for the older part of this story. And Cynthia is going to really take us into the present moment um, much better than I could. Um, so I wrote a book on the beginning part of the story, or perhaps the most the beginning of the most recent iteration of this story, looking at the role of white power movement, recruitment of uh, veterans, um, uh, current active duty armed forces personnel, and kind of other like-minded people with military and paramilitary training, beginning in the post-Vietnam War moment and going up through the moment of the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, and during that period, I think the significant part of the story is that um, we're talking about a very small percentage of veterans and active duty troops. Um, but those who are involved are very deeply important to the white power movement. And there I mean Klan, neo-Nazi, skinhead, and similar groups who are interested in leveraging particular kinds of military readiness and military training um, for violent activism at home. The part of that story that I think we don't know very much about in the period of my study, there's a lot of interesting information about now, is of course about police. And I mean, um, the other population that I think is material here is prison guards as another kind of group of people with um, some amount of like-mindedness um, in some cases and with a sort of degree of expertise that's useful to these groups. Well, that makes perfect sense. Um, and I'm curious, and feel free to ask me questions too. I think this is just yeah. a, a casual kind of back and forth. But, you know, I recently wrote a piece looking at what's happening in Germany because they're having, um, after a series of scandals, scandal after scandal, they've been having really significant national investigations of, um, of right-wing extremist engagement in both the military, the intelligence, and the security services, law enforcement communities. And um, the, the overall argument, although that you're right, absolutely, even in the present day, these are really small numbers, like less than 1%, that, you know, as, as one of the ministers sort of said, every case is a scandal, right? Like that there's, that people who are trained um, with firearms and weaponry and tactical skills to be in these roles is, is extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, and, you know, we keep seeing this summer even case after case of sort of um, armed forces and veterans in um, Boogaloo style kind of scenes or, you know, alleged involvement in plots um, or actual enactment of violence. And I guess one of the questions that I have is sort of, is this, can we still characterize this as a case of a few bad apples, um, as is so often the case, or is is there more something more systematic going on? And the argument that I've been making is that um, we can't actually tell unless we collect the data, unless we report the data, which the Department of Defense and the Department of Justice still don't do. And so um, I wonder if you have thoughts on that historically too, whether, you know, is all we have anecdote in the historical record or have there been periods of time where there's been more willingness to systematically address these issues and really collect the data and be more transparent about it? That's such a great way of thinking about it too, because I think that, you know, the issue is, um, kind, there's kind of two parts of that question. One has to do with 
um, characterization and social understanding of what's happening. And the other has to do with sort of actual threat. And I think like the one important thing for people to keep in mind is that all of this is happening in the context of a movement that is oriented around individual and cell violence. Um, and therefore, um, it's really not important to this movement to have large numbers of people in the way that many people might suppose. And in fact, um, smaller numbers of people can indicate movement towards these cell structures um, that are, you know, demonstrably quite violent and quite mm -hmm. capable of carrying out mass casualty attacks. In other words, um, it also just doesn't take very many, quote unquote, bad apples to carry out a major attack um, with catastrophic yeah. consequences. So the thing, about, the thing about data, and I would love to hear what what you um, what you've seen, especially about police departments, because yeah. we have hardly any information about that, um, and it's mostly, as you say, a matter of data collection. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we run into this issue anytime we want to do anything towards understanding or regulating policing across place, because there just hasn't been any kind of a tracking system or centralized data collection agency the way there has been for the armed forces. I think what we see on the armed forces side of it is that there's really a lot of, um, you know, there are a lot of obstacles to really counting and regulating this kind of activity in the armed forces because, mm -hmm. you know, people at the Pentagon are rightfully worried about things like constraining freedom of speech, freedom of association, and other sort of basic American rights for people who are in the services. Um, on the other hand, I think that reasonable people can agree that you can't be fulfilling an oath of induction that says you're going to protect the nation from enemies, foreign and domestic, at the same time that you are trying to, say, um, topple the federal government. I think that that's... Um, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm conscious of the time because I think we'll get cut off right at six minutes in about 30 seconds. So I will just say...